there. You are listening to the Love and Loss Podcast. I'm your host, Sherry Johnson, and I am on this earth to help you recover emotionally, physically, and spiritually from miscarriage. It's definitely my calling. It wasn't all that long ago that I too suffered three miscarriages of my own and six years of infertility. And I really know how painful and lonely the journey can be. Over those six years, I developed some really solid tools for releasing the emotional pain of loss and for truly healing from the inside out. And I'm here to share them all with you so that you can feel like yourself again. So if you've had a miscarriage or experienced the loss that infertility brings, because there is a loss there too, you are in the right place. And I'm so grateful that you're taking the first step toward healing by joining me today. Let's get started. On today's episode, I'm going to share with you the story of my second miscarriage. In case you missed the story of my first miscarriage, you'll find that on episode number 11. So this one was actually, oh, and by the way, that's at sherryjohnson.ca slash 11. You can find that there on my website or of course on iTunes and Spotify and all your favorite platforms. So my second miscarriage, I want to tell this story as well because it came with a whole new set of learnings for me. So let me tell you the story. It took me over two years to get pregnant after my first loss. And so it finally happened in August of 2014. And this time around, we vowed not to tell a soul. But it wasn't because I had found it so difficult to talk about it after my first loss, because I didn't. I I talked about it fairly openly, um, even with people that I barely knew. But it was almost like a feeling that telling before the 12-week mark had somehow jinxed it the last time. And so this time I felt if I didn't tell anyone, I wouldn't miscarry. I know, backwards thinking, but that's, I think, what was going through my mind at the time. So we told no one, except my two sisters, and my husband told his sister. Actually, I think she actually guessed it. So, but the decision to keep it quiet turned out to be a decision that I regretted. I was at nine weeks when we headed to my parents' place for Thanksgiving weekend. And we were out for dinner with some friends, actually, on the first night, on the Friday. And I was feeling this sort of uncomfortable pressure in my lower belly. But, and it it was sort of bordering on pain, but it, it felt more like pressure. It was a very uncomfortable feeling. But it was a feeling I had never really felt before. And I just sort of thought that, okay, this is something new, but I wasn't really that worried until I got home or we were on the way home and I I felt a bit of a gush. And of course, once I got home to my parents' place and, and went to the bathroom, I realized what was happening. And so I miscarried through the night 
and got up the next morning and was having breakfast with my parents. And I had to tell them I couldn't sit through the whole weekend pretending like nothing happened. And this was probably the worst part was telling them that I was pregnant, but now I'm not. So lesson number one, telling them that I was pregnant and then wasn't was way harder than having already told them that I was pregnant and then having to break the news that we'd lost the baby. I remember sitting there at the breakfast table trying to find the words to start. And of course they had no idea, you know, it had been two years since my last one. They didn't even know if we were trying or what was happening. And so it was really hard to figure out how to start that conversation. The first time was, was really easy. My mom knew that I was pregnant. So when I called, the first thing she asked me was how I was feeling and all I had to do was answer. It was so much easier than trying to find those first words. So my sister showed up with her family later that day. And so she already knew, and she guessed that I had miscarried by the look on my face. I didn't even have to say anything with her. And that made me so glad that I had actually told her. We, of course, didn't really get to talk that much about it because the kids were around, her kids, that is. Um, We were making turkey dinner. It was kind of busy around the house at that point. But, you know, of course, I waited for a phone call from her once I got home that weekend, that week, and it never came. So lesson number two, here's what I learned about expectations from Tony Robbins. How much of our disappointment comes from expectations that are set too high? What Tony Robbins says is drop your expectations and you won't get disappointed in them anymore. It seems really easy but it's, it's a little tougher than, than he makes it sound, but I have learned to do that, um, to drop my expectations or to change my expectations of people. And it's made a big difference. There's also a lesson number three there. Um, I didn't know at the time that I didn't need someone else to prop me up. I could actually find support from within myself. I talk a lot about how to love yourself, how to nurture yourself after a loss in other podcasts, in my Instagram posts, in my blogs, and I learned how to do this through meditation and journaling. I have an episode coming up with more details on this, on how I actually did that. For now, I would invite you to listen to my free meditation download It's called Release the Pain of Miscarriage, and I'll link to it in the show notes at sherryjohnson.ca slash 14. And I would encourage you to listen to that. It will help you to find that supportive, that inner support within yourself. After that weekend, I continued to bleed for about a week, and then things started to calm down. I had an ultrasound scheduled about two weeks after 
my the first night, my miscarriage, to make sure that my uterus was clear. And so I had just walked in the door from the appointment and the radiologist called me directly. I had had countless ultrasounds after my first miscarriage and I had never received a call from a radiologist before. So this was alarming. The first words to come out of his mouth were, we think you might still be pregnant. So here's lesson number four. We will grasp at hope no matter what. It's human nature and we as women wanting a child and wanting our child to live, we will grasp at the tiniest, thinnest threads of hope. So imagine my reaction to those words. For a brief moment, I was elated. Hope came rushing back in that quickly. Only to come crashing down again because his next words were, but I think it might be an ectopic pregnancy. So lesson number five, what is an ectopic pregnancy? I didn't know much about this at the time. Only that sometimes fertilized eggs stay in the fallopian tubes instead of moving down to the uterus. So I rushed to the hospital 40 minutes away by myself. My husband was still at work in the opposite direction, so I couldn't wait for him. The radiologist wanted me to go directly to the hospital. And over the next five hours, I saw three different doctors none of whom really knew what was happening inside my uterus. They could see something lodged where my fallopian tube meets my uterus, which apparently isn't where and where ectopic pregnancies normally sit. So that perplexed them. And then on top of that, they discovered what they thought was a what's called a septated uterus. So lesson number six, what the heck is a septated uterus? I had never heard of this before. I never knew anyone who had one. So this was all new to me. So sometimes your uterus, it's almost like the top of it sort of folds in on itself. So it looks like a heart-shaped uterus and the, the, that kind of corner of the heart, the, the very top of the heart where it comes down to a point can actually come down far enough to kind of separate the uterus into two and it can really impact, uh, uh, it can impact a pregnancy. So the other kind of septated uterus is when you actually have a membrane within the uterus that separates the uterus into two or into like partially into two, it might not extend all the way through the uterus. Either one of these conditions can cause infertility or a miscarriage. So part of me thought, okay, well, this is something that, and apparently it can be fixed. Um, So I kind of thought at least now I know that there might be something that's causing my infertility and causing these miscarriages. And it's something that can be fixed why I was never tested for this before, why it never came up before is another mystery, which as many of you probably know, there are many mysteries when it comes to to miscarriage and infertility. In the end, 
The doctors agreed that they thought whatever was in my fallopian tube was perhaps a fibroid or maybe some tissue remaining from an ectopic pregnancy that actually did, um, did miscarry. But just to be sure, they scheduled me for an MRI in January, and this was Canadian Thanksgiving time, so it was October. So at age 41, this seemed like an eternity, but at least then they could determine for sure what was going on and get a clearer picture of my uterus at the same time. So they could look at whether that was a fibroid or... I, and also to um, to figure out what was going on with this septated uterus. So I went home after that five-hour stint in the emergency room. But I was also to have my blood drawn every week until it went back down to zero. And that took almost three months. My arms were starting to look like a heroin addict. That's, they were so bruised. So lesson number seven, I I see a lot of questions about how quickly does the pregnancy hormone leave your system? And the answer to that is it's different for everyone. So I've heard of women whose, whose pregnancy hormone is gone immediately. Um, especially if they have a DNC, um, but then I've, I've also heard of other women who have, you know, their, their rates don't go down for a month, two months. And for me, it was close, almost three. Um, so by the way, HCG is the pregnant, it's also called the pregnancy hormone. It's human chorionic gonadotropin HCG. And that is what tells your body to ramp up estrogen and progesterone. And it also suppresses the immune system. So, The rate at which your HCG levels go down after a miscarriage depends on so many different factors. How far along you were when you, when the baby's heart stopped beating, what kind of condition your own body is in, how well your liver is functioning to process that hormone and, and get it out of your body. There's so many things that will change that. So there's no one answer, um, to that question, unfortunately. Quick interruption here to talk about creating your best year. We are just over six weeks into 2024. And if you haven't seen any improvement towards getting to your best year ever, even without kids, then you need to download my free guide on how to create it. You will discover what might be standing in the way of your best life. I've got three mistakes in there that you might be making that are keeping you stuck in grief and how you can really tap into what you truly desire in your life. You can get that free guide by going to sherryjohnson.ca slash best year. I will link that up in the bottom of the show notes so you don't have to worry about the spelling, but it's sherryjohnson.ca slash best year. It's a free guide. It's going to help you to create your best 2024, a year full of purpose and meaning and joy. So go grab that now and let's get back to the episode now. So I ultimately, um, had surgery in March where the doctor went in with a scope to have a look at my uterus 
and whatever was lodged in my fallopian tube. And when I woke up, it turns out that all was fine. And a massive weight lifted off my shoulders when the doctor shared that news with me. So lesson number eight, before I go to the lesson, that month, the month of March when I had that surgery, that was also the month when I got pregnant a third time. I was 42 by then and it happened naturally. And I believe, here's the lesson, I believe it had a lot to do with the lifting of the stress I had felt since my miscarriage, since going to the hospital uh, and since going back once a week to get blood drawn, having tests and more tests after that, all the driving because I live in a, a fairly remote area, the doctor's appointments, the worrying, the wondering. Suddenly in that moment when I woke up after that surgery and the doctor told me that I was fine, all that went away. It was a huge huge weight lifted off my shoulders. So what I've learned since then, this is really important. I want to share this with you. Stress causes the release of hormones that tell our reproductive system that it's dangerous to bring a baby into the world. So this, this is something that had a very real and necessary function for our ancestors. If there was famine, drought, or disease, any of the natural stressors that our ancestors would have faced, it would, it would not have been wise to bring a baby into that environment. The body would naturally prevent that. Even the presence of clear danger, say a wild animal or a fight, uh, a wild animal or, or some sort of fight or flight situation, the stress response, the adrenaline, the cortisol, those hormones shut down the reproductive system in favor of the brain and the muscles that we need to fight or flee. So the libido slows down in males, testosterone declines, everything shifts to survival and reproduction is, is not a survival is not required for survival in that moment. So something further that I thought was really interesting that I learned from my sister when you go into labor and then are suddenly faced with a severely stressful situation, the body will actually shut down the delivery process. And this happens in the wild as well, in the animal world. If an animal is, is going through labor and she's faced with a predator or the, the possibility of a predator even, the body will just shut down labor and won't actually allow that baby to come out. So now our body reacts in the same way to a perceived stress as it did many, many moons ago when there was some sort of clear and present danger fight or flight situation. Our bodies don't know the difference between a stress reaction that's caused by a famine or a predator and one that's caused by, say, overwhelm at work, or financial pressure, or all the stress that comes with fertility treatments, or the hospitalization and all of those things that happen after a miscarriage. So there is definitely a link between stress and fertility and stress and miscarriage. That is quite clear in my mind. 
So my theory, going back to my story, is that because all that stress was lifted in the moment the doctor told me I was fine, I was able to get pregnant again. Now, unfortunately, I also miscarried that baby. Um, And the story of that third miscarriage is coming up in a future episode as it was entirely different from the first two. And I had more lessons to be learned from that. Watch for that in an upcoming episode. So before we wrap up for today, let me recap the lessons that I took away from this particular miscarriage in case they're ones that you're struggling with as well. So number one, tell people about your pregnancy. It is so much easier and you'll get, you'll get so much more support if, if something does go wrong. Number two, change your expectations of your friends and family. It's not actually their job to support you, though that is our expectation. So it's much easier when you just change your expectations of them. And, and lesson number three, um, taking the, taking advantage of our capability to support ourselves from within. If you need some help with that, try my free meditation, Release the Pain of Miscarriage. And once again, that's at my website, sherryjohnson.ca slash 14. Lesson number four, we all grasp at even the tiniest thread of hope. That is totally normal. And please do this. Allow yourself to hope. It doesn't help you to shield yourself from hope. It doesn't make it any easier to cope with a loss if you protect yourself from that hope in the first place. Number five, I explain what is an ectopic pregnancy. Number six, uh, what is a septated uterus. Number seven, HCG rates. That's the pregnancy hormone. Those rates, the rate at which they come down after a loss varies widely from pregnancy to pregnancy and from woman to woman. And the last lesson, number eight, stress has a huge impact on your body, your ability to recover and your ability to get pregnant. So you'll want to manage that stress. And now that I think about it, I, I would like to do an episode on that. So watch for that coming up in the, in the future as well. On next week's episode, I'm going to share with you my top tools for emotional healing and why they actually work. Don't get scared off by the word tools, by the way. These are more like habits and practices that have completely changed my life on top of healing from miscarriage. I use these practices now all the time, no matter what kind of challenge I'm facing and no matter how, how difficult that challenge is. So I'll be back next Thursday with that episode. Before you head out, I would be forever grateful if you left me a review on iTunes, as that's going to help other women who are suffering from miscarriage or infertility to find this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
I'll be back next Thursday with another episode for you. In the meantime, make it a week of nurturing and healing for yourself. Bye for now.